0: Now if you know what you're worth, now go out and get what you're worth. What is up? My name is Evan Singler. And
1: I'm Eddie Ernst.
0: And this is the PTA Tapes, a podcast where we go, tell them Eddie. Behind the scenes
1: of physical therapy.
0: That is right. Behind the scenes of physical therapy. We want to talk to people about their story. What makes them different and how others can channel their difference to also be successful. So... Put the tape in and let's roll.
1: We're coming back on the air after an interruption due to a technical problem.
0: What is up and welcome back to the PTA Tapes Podcast. As always, my name's Evan. Got my co-host Eddie with me here. And we are coming to you with another tape, Tape 7. On tape seven, we got to sit down with an absolute peach of a person and PTA. Her name is Katherine Sutton, also known as Katie. She is a clinical coordinator for Kent State University out of Ohio in the tri-state area. And sitting down with her to talk about her story, what she's doing now, her experiences, her knowledge base, just everything. It was, it was just so eye-opening. From a student standpoint, things that I honestly wish I would have known as a student going into PTA school. So, if you are a student and you're listening, you're gonna wanna really take all this in, grab out a little notebook, and write down some notes. Um, things that can bolster you as a student, whether you're currently a student or you're looking to go to PTA school. She drops a lot of good knowledge in both of those areas. So. I'm not going to get into it all right here. I'm going to let you listen. Turn up the volume, put your headphones in, press play, grab a coffee, do what you got to do. We don't judge. Do your thing and enjoy. This is Tape 7, Catherine Sutton. Let's do it. Hello, everyone, and welcome back to the PTA Tapes podcast. This is Tape 7. Today on the tapes, we got a very, very special guest with us. Her name is Katie Sutton. She is a PTA. She is a clinical coordinator for Kent State out of Ohio. Katie, how are you doing today?
2: I'm doing just fine. Thank you.
0: Well, thank you for coming on and talking to me, Eddie. We're super excited to have you on.
2: Absolutely. I'm super excited to be talking to you.
0: So usually how we start these things, we just like to jump in and kind of get an idea of you know the story of the guests we're talking to and kind of how you fell into PTA and what that looked like. I know that's a very open ended question, uh, but if you can kind of give us a little background of your story, you know, how you fell into PTA, what that looked like.
2: Yeah. Um sure. I and I, I think I really truly did fall into um PTA um in several uh respects. Um I was actually um in high school And had been attending a, like a vocational school, like a career center for health occupations. And um, part of the, uh, part of the program is that they would send you to like a a health-based clinic, whether that was like a dental office or a medical billing or something like that. And um, I was lucky enough to get placed in a PT department. (laughs) So um, it definitely sparked a fire very early on. So I was probably about 17 when I had my first um, taste of what physical therapy was. And um, I was lucky enough that after I graduated, they asked me to stay on as like an aide, you know, as like a, a PT tech. Um, so I uh, worked in that office as an aide all the way through a PTA school. Um, they encouraged me along the way. There were several PTs and PTAs that were
1: did we lose her again. Yeah.
2: Bye. Hi again. Hello. Hey. <laughs>
1: hey. Welcome back.
2: Hi again. <laughs> <laughs> no, it's, it's uh, really okay.
0: Yeah. To no, uh, give you
2: a little bit of an idea of how far away I live, I'm actually watching an Amish buggy drive by my house right now. <laughs> wow.
0: No way.
2: <laughs> yeah, we're pretty. Yeah, we're pretty far out there. So that's um, pretty. That's pretty know, awesome,
0: though. I feel like you don't see those kind of it
2: things. It is it is it's beautiful and um i love it um we don't have a lot of resources (laughs) (laughs) so like we don't have the luxuries of like internet and things like that but um we sure do enjoy it that's for sure so um but i I can hear you both okay now can you hear me
0: Yeah, yeah we can hear you perfect
2: yeah so i just drove to the end of my driveway
0: (laughs) (laughs) wait so now now i'm now i'm curious with where you where you are in ohio i mean i'm assuming there there's amish communities close by
2: there there are um we're not really in amish what you would call country okay um yeah we're not really in amish country but um we are surrounded we're a very rural um farming town and um certainly surrounded by a large population of amish mennonite um the majority of my neighbors are amish mennonite with the exception of my mother-in-law but um it takes me about 45 minutes to drive to work every day um which is pretty normal for where i live we live in a place uh, carroll county ohio Um okay. just outside of carrollton ohio and so that's pretty normal so we don't really have any freeway system so to get somewhere like a big place to shop and stuff like that you have to um, travel a good bit before you can actually get to a freeway so gotcha. yeah that's yeah really, that's, but that's, that's really, that's, you know <laughs> yeah it's a, I mean
0: it sounds uh, I kind of love places like that though you know the more so countryside you know kind of away from society a little bit you know it's very calm relaxing
2: oh yeah it's it's amazing. Um, uh, my children have never grown up seeing like a road. So they have like twenty <laughs> acres to roam on, so they think that's normal. And I'm like, Yeah, yeah that's not normal, you know, you you do have to watch for cars and things. <laughs>
0: <laughs> <laughs> yeah. That's, so
2: but anyways, uh that's just a little fun fact. <laughs> oh, of course.
0: Yeah, well um, yeah, just kinda jumping back into what we were talking about, you you just kinda, you know, were touching on uh you know, applying to PTA school, having the support of the colleagues there at the the facility that you were at, and, um, you know, them kind of pushing you on and mentoring you forward, and we'll just kind of let you pick up off from there and continue forward.
2: Oh, yeah, absolutely. Um, and uh, so the, those mentors really became my, my colleagues. Um, I was, I ended up working there with them as a PTA. Um, after I had graduated from PTA school, so I really was in the same place for almost 15 years, maybe um, about 12, 15 years, something like that. That I had worked in the same facility with the same people um, for a very long time. So um, it was it was great. It was um, it was wonderful. Uh, the PTS that I worked under were very um, pro-PTA and wanted to teach you as much as you could. Um, help you learn all the skills that you could Um, and because we're in such a rural area like I said I just explained to you where I'm at um, uh, how far away I am from everything Um, we did lock a lot of resources so we tried to provide as much as we could for our patients Um, so we uh, rented space for aquatics and we um, did school-based PT for the local school district and um, we did a small amount of peds. And so we tried not to turn anything down. We just tried to um, make ourselves better by by educating ourselves so that we could serve the population that we needed to. So that's kind of where I got my start as a PTA um, and uh, went to, to school at Stark State College in North Canton is where I earned my associate's degree. And probably around 2007, um, graduated in 2004 from PTA school. About 2007, I thought I was missing something that I, I wanted to do a little bit more, but I yeah. certainly didn't want to go back to PT school. Um, and it wasn't because I didn't, I, I, it's not that there was anything wrong with being a PTA, but I really enjoyed being a PTA. Um, I enjoyed the time I got to spend with my patients. Um, I liked what I did, I liked the variety that I had, but I wanted to. Um, Bump my skills a little bit so that I could maybe go into management at some point in time. Um, so that's when I decided to go back to school for my bachelor's degree um, in business is what I went for. And uh, then having a bachelor's degree certainly opened up other doors and other routes. And that's how I found myself at Kent State University.
0: Gotcha. That's, that's a really awesome story. And I kind of I want to travel back just a little bit. Um, you know, you talked about going into that the facility in the beginning when you were, you know, went in um, into like, the whole health sciences field, and then you started working as an aide. Um, did you kind of have, you know, before you decided, hey, you know, physical therapy is what I want to do? You know, I feel like a lot of people kind of have that aha moment where they're like, you know, this, you know, this is something that I see myself, you know, going in the future. Like, this is what I love. You know, was did you have one of those aha moments when you were just like an aide? And, and and if so, was that like? Was it a specific, you know, interaction with a patient or was it just something that over time that like, grew, um, you know, speaking on myself, you know, I had, you know, one of those aha moments when I kind of was working as a tech as well, where it was kind of, you know, seeing that progress with a specific patient and how touching it was um, for that patient. And then it just hit me and I was like, you know, this is what I want to be doing. Um, you know, was there anything like that um, that kind of really like set your mind like, hey, this is this is what I want my career to be?
2: I wouldn't say that there was just like one specific, but I think it was like a a, a cumulative, a few um, maybe patients and a few um, experiences that kind of drew me to that conclusion. Um, I think a lot of it was the support of the staff that was there and how they kind of drew me into interactions with patients. And they'd be like, hey, Katie, we want you to see this. Come here. Let me explain this to you. So I felt like they they mentored me and and were giving me that support saying you would be good at this you you have this wonderful you know communication skill and you know you could really go somewhere with this and you know why don't you think about it so i feel like as i built those skills i i decided that yeah this is really something that i i could see myself doing as a career um for sure so maybe not just one specific moment but a, a few moments kind of meshed together um specifically the patients that that was really um Really a cool thing to see the progress um, and to see what the PTs and PTAs were doing with the patients and 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 how they were transforming um, from maybe having pain to not having pain or having very limited function to having pretty good function um, so seeing that was a really cool thing um, and I definitely wanted to be a part of it so
1: awesome um, speaking of the patients I know with uh... The, or at least I hear, I don't know yet. <laughs> but um, with the rural <laughs> area, uh, a lot of times that's where a lot of like the travel contracts are at. And they pay more because, you know, not a lot of people go there. So what kinds of like, uh, I don't know about issues, is, if, if issues is the right word, but like what kinds of issues, maybe um, specific biopsychosocial things, you know, what kinds of, um, basically what kinds of things, what kinds of patients did you see uh, in the rural areas that, you know, somebody in the city might not see as often?
2: Um, yeah, there, definitely a great question. Um looking back on the population that I mainly treated, um, I would definitely say a lack of resources um is certainly where um where a lot of our patients were coming from and that could have been transportation. Maybe they didn't really have good, reliable transportation to get to and from um healthcare services. Um, so we have, um, a transit that runs around town that will help get people to their appointments. Um, maybe a little bit of a low income as well. Um, was certainly part of that mix, but we had a, a lot of like a farming population as well. So, um, a lot of farm injuries, um, uh, lifting injuries, uh, that kind of thing. Um, we certainly saw that as well. And like I said, we, we really tried to make ourselves as diverse as we could so that, um, those folks that had a hard time getting to the clinic didn't have to travel ever, even further yet, that we could try to um, give them what they needed. Now, that doesn't mean that we wouldn't refer out. Um, certainly, if it was something that was out of our grasp, we would do that. Um, but we tried really hard to kind of fill that need and fill that gap.
1: Okay, sweet. Yeah, no, that's, um, I mean, that's. I would say that's a perfect answer. Um, it's perfect. as You can get at least very detailed um talking on kind of the farmers um so with them you can't really tell them to like stop their aggravating activities or um like take a break for a couple days if like they sprain their ankle or something you can't really tell them to to stop what they're doing because what they're doing is their livelihood kind of similar to like people um like in the military and things like that so how did you um overcome or like what uh, accommodations did you suggest or make for for those farmers and um, the people whose livelihood, they wouldn't make like a livelihood if they didn't go to work that next day or work on the farm the next day.
2: Oh yeah, absolutely. Um, That was always a challenge for sure. And I think as in with any um, patient that has a a busy life that fitting PT in is very hard to do. um, I think that the key there is to find the home exercise programs that are going to work for them. That's going to be something that's um, easy to fit into their life and to um, continuously take a look at that. And are, are you, are you still giving them a home exercise program that's doable? um, That is uh, still adequate for what they need and kind of adjusting that as that patient went along so that you're taking away things that they didn't need and giving them things that they did need and try to keep it short and sweet for their day. And, um, checking in with them frequently as far as, um, you know, is this working for you? Is it not working for you? Um, have you tried to do it, um, do your program here or there, or maybe it's something that they can do while they're out and about doing their work. You know, let's take a break or, um, let's, uh, make an accommodation to what you're doing throughout the day. If you're standing a long time or if you have to sit a long time in the tractor, how can we, you know, work around that? Um, so really as with any patient that you're going to treat, Trying to find out what their day is like, and and how can we how can we fit us into their day? How can we accommodate what we need from them into their day as well? Um, so that's I think that's a challenge for um, all PTs and PTAs to find what's going to click and what's going to work with that patient, um, and make it so that it's fun and easy and not a, necessarily a burden to them, but something that they want to do because they're feeling that result. Um, definitely
0: a, a fine line to walk. That's a, that's a really good answer. And, um, and just out of curiosity, because, you know, i I also kind of grew up in a, in a rural area. And so mm-hmm. do you ever, do you ever see yourself getting pushback with some of those home exercise programs that you give, especially to this kind of those, that farmer population? Cause you know, kind of what I grew up in, I, I noticed a lot of, you know, what I would say, I guess, you know, your country boys, you know, they, you try to break up some of those movement patterns into you know smaller movement patterns. You know, so if you're if they're lifting, you know, say 100 pounds a day and whatever that is, whether it's feed hay bale, hay bales, whatever that might be, and you say, okay, well, let's break that down to like you know 10 to 15 pounds, and let's look at your mechanics, of how you're <laughs> lifting. Sometimes you know they look at you like, hey, you know, I've been doing this for a long time.
2: Yeah, you yeah. Know?
0: So <laughs> it's hard to it's hard to you know kind of in a way educate and say, hey, you know, we need to kind of regress before we can progress. Um, do, did you how do you kind of deal with pushback um, if, if you've had any?
2: Oh, yeah, I think that um, that's very typical. Um, I think that um, getting that pushback is, you know, very, um, very normal. But I think that the key is continuing to give them as much education as possible and um, in showing them that a little bit of progress is, better than nothing, and you will get there someday, and a lot of positive encouragement and positive reinforcement certainly helps, um, but I mean, unfortunately, there's times where a patient doesn't fully see that benefit, and sometimes they pull out before they actually get to achieve that, um, and that that's always disappointing for the PT and PTA to see that, um, but a lot of times with that positive reinforcement and um, continuing to educate them on um, what's best for them and how we can kind of take those tiny baby steps towards what they need to get to and, and reassuring them that we can get you back to normal, but it's going to take some time and it doesn't happen overnight. Um, it, it certainly does help along the way, <laughs> but yeah, pushback, I think that's pretty normal.
1: Yeah, what is it? yeah, no, I, I, I like that. Um, I just think I mean, I would say I just agree with with pretty much everything you said. It's just hard sometimes to find um, kind of the reasoning and kind of getting past those initial barriers with people um, to get them to do what you know that they need to do so they can get back to what they want to do. Kind of along those lines, um, kind of sticking to the same uh, category or genre as rural population. um, Did you find that there was a, heavier reliance on uh like what their primary physician said um so for for context like if they went to to pt quote because my doctor sent me here um and then they for like post op let's say tka um and then 6 weeks later they go for a follow up and the physician looks at their most recent progress note and says oh you're good you don't have to do pt anymore uh did you find that you ran into into that a lot with patients just being like oh well this is what my doctor said and you know that's it or do you um did you find that it was easier to kind of break through those kinds of barriers to where they, they trusted your, your guys' word as the PTs um, for those discharges and those, those long-term goals?
2: Um, I would say that there may have been a small population that maybe came from referrals who weren't as close to our community, maybe from a little bit further outside of the community. But I think that, um, building those relationships with the physicians in the community um, in a small town was certainly helpful. Um, having physicians that um, knew the department and um, knew the the Pts and PTAs that were working there and, um, and throughout the community certainly gave them a level of trust that um, I believe that they they trusted if our Pts would um, reach out and say, Hey, I think we need to go a little bit longer. Um, we had built that relationship that they were usually okay with, you know, okay, let's go a little bit longer if that's what the patient needs. And if we still have progress to be made, um, so I think that that was certainly helpful making that network and, um, building that, that positive relationship with the surrounding physicians, um, in our community, for sure.
1: I like that a lot. I think that's one of the, the biggest barriers, at least that I've seen is a lot of times, um, PTs in general will like not want to write a different plan of care, not want to kind of push for the the patient to not get discharged yet. Um, even if their physician says that they're good, just because, you know, they don't want to anger a physician or anything like that. And they don't want to ruin that referral source. But I, I like the approach that you guys took is, you know, build that relationship with the physician first and foremost as that foundation. So that way you have the backup that you need um, when it comes down to it. Cause I think it's the, similar to PT PTA, you know, the patient might go to the PT and say, Hey, you know what? I think I'm ready to be discharged and PT can go to the PTA and say, Hey, you've been working on, on this guy uh, every day. What do you think? And if you built that relationship between each other, you can really uh, establish a trust and if the PT says yeah or PTA says, you know what, they've been progressing good, they're good to go. Or, you know, hey, we just can still work on XYZ. I think that's a that's a good foundation to build.
2: Absolutely. Yeah. And I mean, I think that I may have been spoiled that I, I had that great relationship with the PTs that I worked with, that um there was trust, there was an open conversation. Um, hey, you know, where are we going with this person? Are they are they making progress? Are we good? Um, do we need a little bit more? I think that we might be able to get a little bit more. Um and having that conversation between the PT PTA team and the, the patient as well, um drawing them into that conversation to you know, really optimize their their end result. Um is definitely key. Um, so I, I think I was very, very spoiled that I had that that relationship. <laughs> um, that I felt comfortable talking to my PTs about that.
0: I like I, I like how you say spoiled and use that word there. Um, <laughs> <laughs> I think it's I think it's like more so a testament to just like a very good PT PTA relationship and um, kind of just a kudos to what your clinic was able to build. And effectively like implement you know um, kind of going into that because it's always it's always a good thing to kind of come in as a pta um, and feel like you know you can bring your thoughts um, to the table and they're going to be heard but also you know the same thing from a pt standpoint that you know the ptas are going to obviously you know take the plan of care that they're outlining and, and and go with it and and make sure that you know everything's along those lines um, and i kind of want to transition into now talking a little bit about you know back your background with kent And how that happens. So I kind of want to try and bridge the gap there of you know working in the clinic to you know getting your experience in management, your degree, and then all of a sudden you know now you're a clinical coordinator at Kent. So could you possibly bridge that gap for us and kind of you know how that all transpired?
2: Yeah, um, I'll certainly try. (laughs) So um, that's all we ask. Yeah, (laughs) when I when I started working at Kent. as a clinical coordinator, I was only working part time, so I was still in the clinic um about two days a week, and I was still working at Kent three days a week um so that was that was challenging in and of itself <laughs> but um within about a year, I had become full time at Kent um and my my job responsibilities at Kent turned fully administrative um and at that point, I couldn't work in the clinic anymore unless I wanted to do weekends p r n Um, something along those lines. But, you know, having a young family, um, that wasn't really the best option to do a lot of PRN. I did did some, um, but, you know, making the transition from clinic to academic was a challenge. Um, And then making the transition from uh, not being, quote unquote, a clinician anymore to being an administrator um, was certainly a challenge and a little bit of a hurdle. kind of an emotional one for me, because I thought, you know, am I ready to not be in the clinic like I was every day? Um, that was kind of a mental uh, struggle that I had with myself for a little bit. You know, um, am I making the right choice by not being in the clinic all the time? I know I can always go back, but, you know, what's this going to look for like look like for me long term? Um, and what I came to the conclusion was that I'm still a part, of the physical therapy profession, and maybe even more so now than I was before, um, because I'm still rooted just in a different um, perspective, just in a different angle, but I'm still a PTA. I'm still a PTA, I still have those roots, um, I still have an influence and I still have a voice. So um, initially what was challenging for me in making that transition, has turned out well and I really enjoy what I'm doing now but there was some moments in between where I thought wow you know am I am I ready to give that day-to-day clinic up <laughs> am I willing to kind of cut that cord and 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 release that and and I did and um, it's worked out for me good so far um, I really do envision myself eventually doing some clinic work but um, I've been in the process of earning my master's degree over the last few years and just for time's sake, just so that I don't have to take a lot away from my own family um, and my own personal things that I like to do. Um, I have not went back to the clinic in a couple years. So that's kind of where I'm at right now.
1: That's an interesting, interesting story, I think, and perspective. It seems like you had a, a little bit of a uh, and I think a lot of people do a little bit of an identity crisis when you moved out of. Out of the clinic just because you've known it for so long, and you know that's what you've done. You were able to see and direct, uh, directly affect um, patients, and then moving out of the clinic, you you didn't have that anymore. So uh, it seems like that you felt like you kind of lost that a little bit. But uh, and and I'm sure there's other educators and other clinicians that have moved from from direct patient care to like a DOR or something that have felt that same way. So it was really um, I appreciate it definitely, and I know there are somebody out there that else that will appreciate that kind of perspective, knowing that they're not. The only ones that felt that way, um, and I agree. I, I think you know, you, like you said, you're still part of the physical therapy profession. You're still affecting it on a large scale, um, and if anything, now you're you're affecting patients. You know, tenfold. You know, every single student that you that you teach and that you instruct on something is now directly affecting um, uh, a patient getting better. And that's you know comes back to to you guys as educators. Is kind of how that reaches back to you.
2: I sure hope so. <laughs> <laughs> That's the goal. <laughs> well,
0: and, and, and just just out of curiosity, um, kind of with you know the clinical coordinator position, was that something that you jumped into straight away, or did you did did it kind of start out as like a more so the instructor side, and then jump into coordinator? Kind of did you climb that ladder? Or how did that How did that look? Or was when you transitioned over from the clinic into Kent?
2: Yeah, um, Kent State University is kind of a unique setup. So, we have um, Kent State University is a a large multi campus system. And so, we have a traditional PTA program on two campuses within the system. Um, So, the East Liverpool campus and the Ashtabula campus both have a traditional PTA program. Um, And because our program takes in those two traditional cohorts, the students, um, we also have a third cohort that comes in that is an, an athletic trainers transition to a PTA program. So we have three cohorts of students coming in. So we have faculty and staff on one campus and then we have faculty and staff on the other campus. Um, So at the East Liverpool campus, we have two full-time faculty that are teaching and then my role is strictly administrative. So I do all of the academic coordination, the planning, um, all of the site visits, all of the um, grading and and assignments that, that kind of correlate with that clinical side, but I also do all of the pre and post academic advising. So anybody who's interested in our program, they see me first. Um, I'm at a lot of recruiting events. Um, I'm at a lot of open houses and and whatnot for the um, campus and the program. And our program director is actually housed at our Ashtabula campus, which is about 100 miles away. So I kind of fill some of those administrative duties when she cannot be there. So if there's a student issue, my office is already, it's all, always open and already ready to go. So I can kind of handle those things day to day until the program director can get on the phone or get down to visit or whatnot. So um, it's kind of a unique role. I don't know that a lot of ACCEs look like that in our profession, um, maybe a handful, but it's a little bit different. So when I'm networking with other ACCEs um, out at different conferences and out in the, the academic world, I my role looks a little different if that makes any sense at all
0: it makes perfect sense and um one of the biggest uh things i want to touch on was you know you said you do a lot of um kind of networking events um, and outreach opportunities um with your position and um as far as i guess kind of some of those outreach opportunities is that within the ohio area or do you span out further uh
2: yeah we we do kind of span out a little bit further um because I work at the East Liverpool campus, um, we're uniquely um, located in the tri-state area. So I can, when I look out my window, I see the Ohio River and across the river is Chester, West Virginia. And then if I go a few miles down the the highway, um, I will end up in Pennsylvania. So we're in this little um, spot, the, this tri-state area, that we do get students from all three um, states that come into our program. So, it's not rare that when our students graduate that they become licensed in three states, that they will do dual licensure or um, all three, and then they can kind of um, migrate in between the different states um, for different jobs if they want to work PRN or whatnot. So, yeah, we, we definitely do have a little bit of an outreach outside of Ohio, Um for sure. Our Ashtabula program, they do a lot in like Erie, Pennsylvania, too. I shouldn't say a lot, but there are some students that kind of come over from that area as well.
0: Gotcha. And um, that's, re- that's really interesting too, kind of mentioning you in that tri-state area um, and kind of what you said, you know, a lot of students are applying for multiple um, licensures in different states because they're so close within all mm-hmm. those areas. I know one thing um, that probably... And I'm sure that's something that's on your eye, too, is the whole um, licensure compact that legislation is kind of working on to make it easier for, you know, students to jump back and forth across um, states. I'm not sure if you're too, too familiar with that um, or any kind of thoughts or comments about that in in regards to what that could mean for, you know, kind of Kent State moving forward.
2: Well, to be honest with you, I haven't dug into it too much, so I don't know all of the ins and outs and the details. Um, It sounds like you might know a little bit more about it than I do at the moment, but um, I certainly think it could be a benefit um, for sure.
0: Yeah. um, And and just kind of just out of curiosity, too, um, you know, would you say that um, as far as like the student body, do they are they pretty well split between all those kind of those three states as far as where they're going? Or do you see most of them stay in the Ohio area? Um, What kind of just, you know, out of curiosity, you know, where are most of the students, I guess, looking to practice afterwards?
2: Yeah, I would say the majority of our student body, um, at least in the PTA program, is certainly Ohio-based. I would probably have to guess it's about 80%, uh, maybe a little bit more. It kind of depends. It varies year to year. Um, But looking back over the last six years and the site visits I've made, um, I mean, I, I go... All the way north to Cleveland, and I go as far south as Wheeling, West Virginia. So you know, it's there is a, a big radius that kind of spans that. Um, but I would say the majority of our students are certainly from Ohio. Um, a, a handful from West Virginia and a handful from Pennsylvania. So,
0: gotcha, gotcha. And um, and and yeah. this is more so from a, from a student perspective. And I know I'm kind of transitioning mm-hmm. out of that role. Um, Eddie's still in that role, and he's kind of got a little bit of time left uh, (laughs) on the home stretch, though. Almost uh, there, almost uh, there. (laughs) uh, In your position, um, as a you know the clinical coordinator and what you do in your capacity, what just kind of give you know whether it's current students or students that want to you know go into PTA, what do you look for out of a student coming into a PTA program?
2: Well interestingly i always make sure that i tell them that they have to actually touch people um that has actually come up before in the past where a student uh, maybe didn't fully grasp that you mean i have to like lift people and move people and touch people and so yeah i always make sure that they know that that's part of the role of a pta um But we certainly give them a list of essential functions. You know, we have to be able to um, list and and verbalize and um, hear and teach and um, show and demonstrate and use technology in our jobs. Um, So that's definitely something I'm looking for as a student who wants to be hands-on because so much of our job is hands-on. A a lot of our job is hands-on. So that's probably one of the first things that I clarify with them. And then, second is is communication skills. Um, I really look at it for a student: can they make eye contact with me? Are they um, making clear connections? Are they asking appropriate questions? Um, those are the things that I really try to kind of embed with that student early on. That you know you're going to have to have these conversations, and you have to be social, and we need to be able to interact at multiple levels with different patients, um, physicians, nurses. Other professionals, you name it, um so that's probably the second thing that I really try to encourage and foster in a student.
1: I like that a lot. um I actually have a a guy in my class who shall remain nameless, but there's a, this running joke that he just doesn't wanna wanna touch people it's really just he doesn't he's not a fan <laughs> of like massages. And everything, and like and the massage, but it's just funny every every now and then where where somebody says like, oh, and then you're gonna have to touch them and move the leg up, and then I mean I do it. I kind of look at it every time somebody they talk about having to touch a patient. Anyways, he's a good yeah, dude. Like, yeah, you know, He's gonna be great. But I just think that that's a funny comment that that you made on that. That's something that you point out.
2: Yeah, yeah. I definitely make sure I tell him. You know, we work head to toe. We're we are working on people's heads and we're working on their toes. So, um, you kind of have to be willing to. Um, get up and close and, and personal with people um, but all for the benefit of healing so um, but yeah that's certainly something that I try to make sure that they're very aware of is that you actually have to touch people <laughs> so.
0: that's uh, that's definitely an important thing and um and another thing I like that you said there was you know making sure or looking you know to see if they're making eye contact with me and being personal um, mm-hmm. I think that's like a that's a pretty huge thing to touch on um, from that perspective of, you know, we come into this field and, and obviously, you know, the touching and healing aspects and all those things the physical parts of it are, you know, um, a huge component, but also, you know, building that therapeutic alliance is half the battle as well. So, you know, finding individuals that can be genuine and and personal and carry conversations. And, um, I think, and just, this is a personal tangent of, of my own. Um, you see, you see a lot of, um, times and i think you know this transitions over into into pt school a little bit um but you see a lot of you know students go through and they're academically just superior you know the bar is so high for them Uh but you know on the opposite side and i think this kind of goes into the whole school system where it's flawed a bit is that we know we look at those high gpas and say okay he's a good candidate but you know then they come in and then you know that personal aspect of you know how how I'm talking to the patient and how I'm relating to them and am I making eye contact and that and I think that's another huge part of what we do outside of you know what we know on a knowledge basis um, that sometimes sometimes fails patients. um So I really like yeah. that you that you touched on that yeah. that part of it because um, I I think that's really important and I don't know if you want to continue to soundboard anything off that.
2: Yeah, no, I I think that you hit the nail on the head for sure. Um, that's probably one of the toughest things to teach. You know, I mean, um, it, it's not the same as teaching book work um, is that professionalism, that that social soft skill um, aspect of the job. So that's not an easy thing to, to just like expect somebody to do, you know, like, well, just don't don't you know how to do that? You know, that's not um, as easy to kind of conquer. Um, so that does tend to come up as it's going to in the clinic setting. Um, and I think that that's why our clinical instructors are so incredibly important to us, because I think that they can teach a lot um, to students. And then the volunteer um, hours, I'm sure that you both had to do some type of observation hours or volunteer hours before you applied to PTA school. Um, that's important as well, almost maybe even a little more important um, before applying so that that uh, student is seeing what we really do as PCs and PCAs and kind of digging deep. Is this really what I want to do? Um, So I really encourage students before they even get into the program to um, ask a ton of questions when you go out on observation experiences or volunteer hours. Um, Spend more than the minimum required hours. You know, if you have to do 20 hours or 40 hours or whatever it is, do a little bit of extra just to make sure that that's really what you're going to do and to get multiple settings. You know, don't just go to to one hospital system, or don't go to just one outpatient system. Catch a few of them, do two or three of them, um, to really understand. Because we do multiple settings, we do treat in multiple settings. So, um, seeing a little bit of all of those would give you a better picture and make sure that that student is fully aware of what they're getting into before they invest their time and their money um, into that into the field and into the school.
1: Yeah, no, I I agree 100%. You know that i uh, not a hundred percent on this, so don't quote me, but I'm pretty sure there's a couple um, PT schools and I'm sure there's a couple PTA schools too, that don't even have like a formal uh, interview process. It's all like just based on grades and I'm sure like an entrance test or something like that. But I didn't, I don't understand how that's, you know, possible that you can justify because it's a face-to-face, it's an interaction based uh, job or career and, to not like interview somebody to know, you know, can they interact with people beyond getting a 98 on a test? Like that's an important aspect of the job. That's just overlooked in some of the um, application processes. Um,
2: yeah. Mm-hmm. Very interesting.
1: So what is your, um, I don't know how much you you can tell us on it, but what's your um, kind of application and interview process? Like what, are you able to say what kind of what kinds of questions you ask or like what um what kinds of answers do you look for? Or like what kind of details can you give us on, on that without like giving away for future applicants?
2: <laughs> yeah, whoever is getting ready to apply next year is gonna to want to listen to this podcast. <laughs> so that's actually probably one of the number one questions I get from students when they're getting ready to apply. And I do a lot of work with um our students, getting them ready to apply um to our program. And I think that that's one of the coolest parts of my job is that I get to see that student before they even became a PTA student, you know, before they were um, into the program, I, I've seen them go all the way through. So that's probably one of the highlights of my, my job is that I get to see that transition. But um, to be quite honest with you, I don't know the exact questions because I don't usually do that portion of the, um, the interview, but our, our application process is very point-based. And um, so there's a total of, I think, 155 points that a student can get. And it's based on um, GPA, college courses taken. So that would be like your your core classes, like your English, your math, um, social science, your humanities, that, that kind of stuff. But it also has like your anatomy, your um, physics classes, that kind of thing. That all ties into those college courses taken. And then um, we ask, also add in the um, observation experiences, get added in. And then we have a written essay and a formal interview process. So our um, our interview process is not a one-on-one interview. It's like a three panel, tent panel to a three or four um, student group. Um, so it's not a one-on-one thing, but they do come on in and a lot of the the things that we're looking for is exactly what we had just talked about, the communication part. Um, Can they complete their thoughts? Um, Are they looking at you in the eye? Um, What are their responses? And um, then we do also have some problem-based questions in there. And I don't know exactly what they are, but um, just for an example, you know, like, here's a pencil. Tell me five things you can do with this pencil besides write. You know, so I, I believe that they ask them some questions like that. Um, as well. But then the um, the essay portion of the interview process, it all happens at the same time. We take them into a different room and we give them 15 minutes to write an essay and the topics are all different. Um, some of them are highly related to PT and some of them are not really related to PT at all. Um, some of them are related to things that they've seen in their observation experience. Um, and then basically they have 15 minutes to write a handwritten essay. One piece of paper is what they're given with just lines on it. Um, then they write, and when the time's up, they put their pencils down, and we send them to the English department. <laughs> so um, they actually get graded on grammar and um, their composure and um, how well they stayed to the topic and those kind of things.
0: So, so, so basically, if you're if you're a student in the tri-state area and you're looking at Kent State as a particular college to go to the PTA program you got your work cut out for you because I've been sitting here for the past couple of minutes thinking of five different things I can do with a pencil besides write. <laughs> uh, and I am, I'm drawing blanks. I don't know if I would have cut the bill. for
1: that.
2: <laughs> no, um, I'm not sure that that's one of the examples that they use. Like I said, I, I actually don't sit on, on the interviews, but, um, I know they do ask some problem based questions, maybe similar to that. Um, but I think that it's fun in some aspects. They probably get some really,
1: really interesting uh, answers. That's for
2: sure. I imagine so. Yeah. I, yeah. I asked. kind the, of
1: looking for something else. Oh, go ahead. No, no, no. I was just going to say that uh, I've been asked a couple of those before. And it, it's fun afterwards when you get to like kind of Google the question <laughs> and see what like creative <laughs> answers that people have come up with. But then like you just being on the spot is just like, uh, I don't know. Cause so, yeah.
2: I'm drawing a blank. Asked,
1: yeah. Yeah. <laughs> I've been asked the, uh, if you were if you were a, a crayon in a box of crayons what color would you be? And I was just I had no idea. So I was like uh white because I can still color on stuff and I'll pick up you know, traces <laughs> of the other colors to make a new one and but I'll still be my own color. And I was just like oh. there you
2: go. <laughs> it was uh
1: Yeah, I really I really like those questions afterwards at least. Yeah, finally.
2: I'm not sure I could answer the one about the crayons myself, but <laughs>
1: Um, just to just
0: to touch base on something you said there, you said you know y'all do in the interview process, it's not really a one-on-one formal thing. It's um, it's multiple individuals involved, and um, if I was correct there, you said uh, kind of there was like a student involvement um to an extent. So uh, when you said student involvement, is that like bringing in previous or current students in the program um, and that are a part of that process and kind of like you know asking them questions, or is that like you're bringing multiple applicant applicants in at once and kind of having yeah. them?
2: Yeah, the second. Yeah, so we have a panel of three people that are um, two from from Kent, two of our faculty, and then we have a clinical instructor that's local to our area who actually had went through our program as well several, well, it's been more than several years ago now, but um, but she's a big supporter of our program, so um, she typically comes in and does the interviews, and then we have usually a group of four students come in at a time, but it just kind of depends on how the groups break out. Um, with how many numbers and whatnot that we have come in. But I think it makes students feel a little more comfortable that they're not there one-on-one, um, feeling like it's so intimidating that they can bounce ideas off of each other, and um, which is kind of a neat thing to see as well, um, to let the students kind of feed off of each other's ideas and whatnot.
1: Yeah, I think it's
0: um, I think it's like really important too, just to kind of see how, you know, students work with other individuals, you know, because potentially, you know, they don't realize it why they're in there in the applicant or application process. But, you know, at some point, if they make it through the program, um, you know, they're going to be colleagues next to each other. So, you know, to see how they are able to interact to that moment in time, um, it's it's definitely kind of a eye opening thing for a program, um, but also for the students, too.
2: Absolutely, yeah, and and I'm sure that you both realize that the friendships that you build in PTA school last a very long time. Um, so you're, they're kind of starting it off at the very beginning. As a matter of fact, some of them have had classes together prior to this, so it's fun to see them recognize each other when they're waiting to go in. Like, hey, you know, you're in my anatomy class, or or you're in my statistics class, or whatnot, and then you know that kind of gives them a little bit of a comfort level when they go in. So
0: of course and um i want to i kind of want to transition also and talk to something about that's really unique to um to kent state uh we actually kind of you know had a little bit of a conversation about it before coming on um but if i'm correct kent state has the only athletic training transition program into pta um currently in the country right now is that correct and if so can you kind of um you know explain what that program is how it works, Um, and and obviously, you know, it's going to be a game changer in terms of that kind of niche um, for students who are athletic trainers who are looking to, you know, go the PTA route, and, you know, I I, I, yeah, just to kind of get a little more detail on that program.
2: Yeah, um, so the Athletic Trainers Transition Program, it's actually housed at our Ashtabula campus, so I really don't work with those students, Um, But I work with the faculty and staff that does work with those students. Um, So I'm certainly aware of the the program and and, uh, what happens with that. But it's kind of a really neat thing. And I I think it's um, very under marketed. I don't know that people know it it exists, (laughs) to be honest with you. So it's a neat program. If you're already a certified athletic trainer, you can apply to this program and basically come out in about 15 months and become licensed as a PTA. So um, it builds off of the skills that they already have as an athletic trainer. So typically their degree fulfilling many of the requirements that they need to graduate with that associate's degree um, to become a PTA. So that definitely lifts some of that off. Um, and we have seen in the past where athletic trainers that are Maybe in with a a hospital system, sometimes they get some type of financial aid or assistance from their employers to help pay for them to go through this um, program because it does help them in the end. So they're more marketable. um, They have more opportunities and they have a a whole second set of skills that they can add on to the skills that they already have. So it's kind of a a neat program. Um, And like I said, I don't think that many people know about it. It's the only one that's accredited in the United States as of right now. So um, pretty neat program.
0: Yeah. So just just a little plug from the PTA Tapes podcast. If you're an athletic trainer and you're licensed and you're looking to go the PTA route and just to continue kind of, you know, bolstering your career in the tri-state area, Kent State University is a a school you should definitely be looking into. So we'll just throw that plug out there. Absolutely.
2: Absolutely. So, and most of it's online. So, um, the, the program's done from the comfort of their own home. That's something that we, we really pride ourselves is that they don't have to go very far to do this. They do come onto campus. I believe it's six weekends throughout the the program, um, to do their practical testing and, um, be ready to go to clinicals, that their clinicals are based close to their home. Um, I think their first, one or two clinicals can actually be done within the clinic that they're already working at. Um, But then obviously they have to get some outpatient or I'm sorry, inpatient experience because um, your athletic trainers don't really get as much of that in their current day to day. So they have to get a little bit of that. So, but yeah, it's it's a really neat program that um, can really help give somebody an edge if they're looking to expand their skill sets or maybe to, grow a little bit where they already are in um, their current setting that they're working at. So um, neat program. Yeah.
1: Good on you. Good on you guys for, uh, for forcing the, uh, not forcing, but for strongly volunteering them to, to go to an inpatient because that is a a whole nother ball game that is for better people than I, Uh, my school requires (laughs) a, a sniff and then two kind of choice uh clinical sites so i had to get my sniff done first um but I, I don't have to do i don't have to do a uh inpatient and i'm kind of thankful because like i said it's for it's for better people than i to be able to go in there and, and do what those people do
2: yeah and i think that that was certainly um important um and i wasn't around when this uh athletic trainers transition program was um created. I wasn't in the Kent State system then, but I think that that was certainly something that was important is, you know, if you're going to become a PTA, you do need these skills just in case. Um, You know, you may never step foot in an acute care center again or um, an acute care hospital or even a skilled nursing home. But if you do, then you need to have those skills as well, because that's what we do as PTAs. We we do go there. Um, So that's certainly... Um, And I would say even maybe a little bit of a challenge for the the athletic trainers group for them to say, okay, well, I'm going back and I'm going to try something new now. Um, So, you know, they have to be willing to jump in and, and uh, take a little bit of a different approach, um, which is, it's an interesting transition for them for sure. Um, But a wonderful program.
0: That's really neat. And um, just kind of, segwaying into a, an, another question um, in kind of regards to your job capacity with clinical coordinator. I know that that kind of entails, you know, you reaching out to a lot of, um, you know, different sites to kind of set up students and how that works. Um, and this is just out of personal curiosity as a student that's kind of leaving that um, the whole clinical rotation um, experiences. What is the, I guess, what is the biggest feedback you get from a lot of those rotation um, sites that students go to in terms of, you know, what we as PTA students can be doing
1: better.
2: Hmm. That's interesting. Um, Well, I would say the first rotation for me seems to be, if I had to put a label on it, the the easiest. Um, It's the easiest for the clinical instructor and the student and me um, because the student's still fresh enough that, they have a lot more to learn. Okay. But then it's the third clinical rotation. I think that's the the, the very last one for us. And we, so we have three, we have three full time. So it's our third last rotation that seems to be the one that um, I don't want to say the hardest, but it's the most challenging because the student wants to put themselves out there and say, Hey, I'm prepared. I have all my academics done. I'm, I've made it this far. I'm ready to put myself out there. I'm, I'm ready to start working as soon as I'm entry level. Um, but then there's still some things that they haven't seen, learn or done yet. Um so there's this fine line between keeping them entry level but still being able to teach them mm. new skills and um show them new things. So that that last rotation for me is always the um the most challenging, I would say. As far as feedback goes, um I I hear a lot of very interesting things. <laughs> Site visits is probably Uh, one of the the top um, probably one of my top five things that I that I love about my job is site visits Um, because it's interesting to see and hear things from the the clinical instructors um, perspective and um, as far as the feedback that I get um, from a student side the two top two weaknesses I would say that students tell me that they have is documentation and um, exercise progression So in the last clinical rotation, that's the top two answers I I hear from a student. If I had a dollar for every time I heard that, I would be rich. (laughs) But I think that those are the two areas that are just kind of one of those lifelong learning. Mm -hmm. Um, So documentation is ever-changing. So every clinic that my students go to, they're using a different documentation system. I still have one that's handwriting notes. So, you know, there's, wow. a, there's a bunch of different, yeah, there's a bunch of different facets to that. So I think that um, documentation is certainly one that students have a hard time um, feeling like they're comfortable when they're ready to go, when they're entry level. And I think that that's okay. So I try to reassure them that, that you're going to learn a lot more. And whenever you get out of here and get your own job doing your own thing, it's probably going to look different as well. So we kind of have to take that in steps you know, this clinic site, this is what they do. And this is what we have to kind of um, learn here, as long as they have the basics. And then therapeutic progression, therapeutic exercise, the progression of that, that's something that I think skilled clinicians mm-hmm. still work on. You know, how can I make this more meaningful for my patient? How can I make this more challenging? Um, you know, are they ready to progress? Those those kind of things um, I think pop up in every day life for PTs and PTAs so again I try to reassure them that you're not that far behind it's just a matter of building your toolbox before you get out into the clinic learn things pick things up put it in your back pocket put it in your toolbox and someday that might come back up again so I think that's probably the top two feedback um, perceived weakness if you want to say from a student's perspective.
1: Yeah, I, I I think that's those are the, probably the two. If we took a poll of every single student PT PTa student in in the country, I think those would probably be the top two top three um, <laughs> things that people feel yeah. <laughs> comfortable with. Just because, like you said, the the documentation one, it's like um, I feel like it's it's very it's either very personal or it depends on the clinic. Like some clinics might have a specific way that they. Like want you to word and document things, and not like in a negative, like negative or fraudulent thing or anything like that. But like they just might have specific like wording um, in the way that they phrase things that you know you you might not be used to, and you have to kind of learn how to do that. Um, or you might have your own personal um, way of documenting and wording things that that works for you. That now you have to change up, or you're still learning how to do. Um, like at my sniff, there was like a, a specific uh, for each of the things we did. We would put you know what we did how, how uh, the like three by 10 or whatever, um, what was it for? So like, what issue is it addressing? And then why are we working on those issues? Like what's their overall diagnosis that we're working on uh, to do it. And yeah. then in like my outpatient clinic, when I'm sending off paperwork to like outside physicians and stuff, um, like it's not like that at all. So it's really just facility dependent that you'll have to learn eventually um, as a student and as a clinician. And same thing with the exercise progression. Like you said, it's really, that I think more than anything, it just comes with experience. Um, Absolutely. it's yeah. just, you know, one Absolutely. person is going to respond one way. Another one's going to respond a different way to exercise. And even with your own, with your own self and your own like exercise on your own, like you kind of learn, um, throughout doing exercise, like when you feel like you are able to progress to the next weight or progress to the next resistance amount on the stairmaster or something. like, it's, it's just something that's ever changing. And, it's just like you said a continuous learning experience
2: absolutely yeah so i always try to reassure students they're not alone (laughs) and now i can say i have proof because i talked to both of you
0: (laughs) (laughs) oh yeah no i i i've definitely seen that and just soundboarding off like everything eddie said to you know in my um my experiences as a a student one of the biggest thing i saw especially from a documentation standpoint was like word verbiage and how it's used um because you know, you oh, might, yeah. might use like, you know, certain terms at one clinic and, you know, um, you know, the CI there, you know, loves it, gets used to it. And then you go to the new clinic and you use those words and then the CI is like, yeah, I made some modifications to your note. And you go look and they change those kind of <laughs> verbs, but it, it means the same thing. You put in you <laughs> Yeah, it's like, well, it means the That's same crazy. exact thing. You just he's like, well, I just like this term. It sounds a little more doctory. And I'm like, yeah, I get it. <laughs> Um so, uh, <laughs> it's funny. And you kinda you get you go through those rotations where um and it's it's a little shorter than you know the P T students. You go through those like I don't know how your program there um does it, but I know our program we had six week rotations and you kinda get to where you you know, by the end of it you're comfortable enough to where you kinda know the system. Um, but then you get uh-huh. picked up and tossed into a new system and it's like jumping, you know, learning all over again. Um yes. so it definitely yeah. gets a little a little uh-huh. frustrating at times, kind of, you know, not not so much, you know, learn kind of you know learning the person out of your CI but just kind of learning how they go about you know their documentation because reality you know when you document as a student whatever you say is reflecting you know their note for that patient um so they can kind of get a little picky at times is what I what I saw
2: yeah absolutely yeah and I think um that's again one of those things that I try to um reiterate with students is um I know this isn't exactly what you did at the last clinic but, if you look at the core, you probably have the same foundational elements in that note, but it it looks very different on this computer system than it does this computer system, and the words might be a little bit different, and your c i s preferences might be a little bit different um, but yeah, certainly and sometimes I feel bad for students because i I feel like you have to kind of um, dance this fine line between what your c i wants and what you've already learned and and how to mesh those two um, together to make it what's what's appropriate for that clinic setting and, and what your CI's expectations are. So that's that's a hard thing to do.
0: Of course. And um in and, and, and kind of going off of that, um, you know, I know I'm sure there's a lot of thought process that goes into, you know, especially from your job, when you're sending students out, you obviously want to match up students with, you know, personality-wise, somewhat, you know, relative to the CIs that you have affiliated with your school. I know a lot of, you know, clinical coordinators try to look at that as a part of, because, you know, they say, hey, I have a student here who's, you know, maybe a little more shy, timid, you know, to himself or to herself versus, you know, a CI who's very outgoing, you know, very, you know, loud and bold in what they do. You know, maybe that's not the best, you know, teamwork to have to kind of really get the best out of that student. Um, how much, I, I guess, you know, and what you do in a given day, when you start to pick, you know, where I want students to go, how much do you kind of look at the student personally and, um, you know, how much of that goes into, you know, what you do, you know, through, uh, throughout the year of, you know, getting to know those students and understand their personalities.
2: Yeah. Um, yeah, that's definitely a challenge as well to, um, really feel confident that where I place them, they can be very successful. Um, and in reality. I want to say that no matter where I put them, they should be and can be successful because I, I expect that my CIs are professionals and that my students can learn from them. However, reality is some people just don't blend well together as far as the, the personalities go, like you said. Um, so I, I do try to do that. Um, I also kind of look at the system as well. You know, um, is this person, is this student also a good fit for that? hospital system. Maybe not just the CIs. Um, some sites share CIs, you know, so the student might have two CIs during a clinical rotation. So um, it, I do try to do that. And sometimes I'm very successful in that. And then I have the student who's extremely grateful who says, this was the best clinical I've ever had. And my CI was awesome. And I've built lifetime friendships here and I have references and this was great. And then I have the student who I, I feel like I've maybe failed them in some ways, like, Oh man, it just wasn't a beautiful match. You know, I thought it might've been and it wasn't, (laughs) So, you know, for, for all of the good ones that I have, I do have every once in a while a a rotation that wasn't as beautiful for that student as I hoped it would be. But um, you know, what I have to say about students is um, you guys keep going, you don't give up easy. So Um, that's a good quality to have as a student if maybe you're going into a clinic site and it's not the best matchup as far as personality but you're willing to do what you got to do to get through it and to make it work and to learn how to um, build relationships otherwise and work with personalities that's part of our job
0: of course of course And and i love everything you just said there um it just it really speaks volumes and you know, before before we um, kind of you know start wrapping up this call here, there's some there's some really kind of um, important things I wanted to touch on, and one of them was that you're on the uh, Centennial Steering Committee, um, and there's some pretty important events coming up um, in regards to that. I didn't know if you wanted to share those events um, and kind of what you know what they mean for physical therapy um, in a whole.
2: Um. Sure. Yeah. Well. Uh, I probably don't have a wealth of information to give you quite yet about the Centennial Steering Committee, Um, but what I can tell you is that we are working diligently to um, try to find ways that we can remember and honor our history for the American Physical Therapy Association. So we're going to be 100 in 2021, so we're almost there. Um, so we're we're really just kind of skimming the surface right now as far as what all is going to happen as far as events and activities and things like that. But what I can tell you is that we want engagement from every angle of the um, APTA and every angle of our profession, members and non-members, students, clinicians. We want um PTAs and PTs we want the whole the whole gamut here. So we want everybody to be involved in some way shape or form. So Um, there's going to be lots of different things that we're going to look at. Um, we hope to get engagement um, In our local communities um, At a national level and maybe even at a global level as well. So I think things that are coming up will certainly kind of bounce back to Our members and bounce back to our our sections and and chapters and SIGs and what do we want to do? You know, so I'm sure there's going to be a lot of opportunity to give feedback and find ways to celebrate on our own and find ways to celebrate at local levels all the way to the national level. Um, So I'm sure we're going to be hearing a lot more about that um, coming up in the next year, Um, and I would anticipate probably maybe even by CSM next year, we might have a lot more information to kind of roll out and get, get going. So it's a very exciting time. Um, I'm very honored to be serving with the um, individuals that I am on the committee. Um, I think that it's one of the coolest volunteer opportunities I've ever had, um, but also one of the most important ones that I've ever had, um, just to kind of remember who we are, where are we going, and what do we want to look like in the future?
1: Awesome, yeah. No, it sounds like a exciting event, and I mean, I'm sure the ABTA will will put on some some good shenanigans for for the next and CSM and everything that year. So, <laughs> I'm stoked for it. I know it's seems like three years is a long way away, but uh, it'll it'll creep up on us before we know it. Um,
2: and it'll well, be here before we know it for sure.
1: Yeah. Um, so we got about a minute left on here. So last thing okay. I wanted to ask you. Uh, kind of if you had uh, like a closing statement so if you had the attention of you know every PTA student and every PTA in the country right now what is your what is your message to them
2: well that's heavy um <laughs> i would say that um look for ways to become involved at any level um i am a new you probably won't believe this but i'm a new APTA member within the last 5 years i was not always an APTA member Um, and when I became a member and became involved is when I realized what I was missing out on, um, and realized that I have a bigger voice than what I thought I did. So, um, even if it's local, your, your PT pub nights, go to them, network, get involved, find ways to volunteer, even if if it's up to the national level, um, find ways to get involved.
0: Like I said, you know, who you are as, um, not only just a person, Um, But as a PTA, as a clinical, you know, director and um, instructor, all the above, um, it it really is just, you know, such a positive, you know, feeling to know that we have individuals like yourself out there that are really, you know, pushing us forward, Um, you know, as students, as PTAs who are really kind of giving us a framework um, to build off of. it, it, It really means a lot. I know, you know, obviously me and Eddie haven't, you know, been able to experience, you know, what you do behind the scenes in person. Um, but in, for what it sounds like, it just sounds like your 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 program and yourself do such a great job at in really kind of pushing out, you know, new PTAs into the field that are gonna be making an impact for patients. Um and from our standpoint going in, you know, those are future colleagues for us, so it just really means a lot.
2: Oh well thank you. That's those are very kind words. Um I have to say that I am just blown away that um, you two have um, come up with this idea for the PTA tapes. I was so excited when I saw it and I've been trying to share it with as many people as I um, I possibly can because I just think that it's such an amazing thing that you, you saw a need and you filled a need. Um, and so I'm excited that you're taking the reins on this and I congratulate you both. And I know that you're going to be Very successful in anything that you decide to do, whatever you decide to do. Wow,
1: appreciate that very much. Thank you, thank you, thank you so much. Yes,
2: and yes, and thank you both.
1: Well, Katie, it was an
0: absolute uh, pleasure to have Mm -hmm. you on to the podcast to talk to me and Eddie, um, and just kind of taking the time out of your schedule to do that. Uh, It was it was just awesome to kind of you know hear your story of how you got into the field, um, but also to kind of hear everything that you're doing.
2: Hey, no problem. Thank you for having me. We'll have to catch up at one of the the conferences in the next year. Maybe in 2019, we can celebrate uh, PTAs being 50.
0: There you go. All right, Katie. Well, thank you so much. You have a good night.
2: Thank you. Okay. Thanks. You as well. And that
0: wraps up tape seven of the PTA Tapes podcast. I hope you enjoyed listening to Katie as much as we did. So, you know the deal. Hit the subscribe button. Leave some feedback, let us know what you think. If you have someone that you're like, they need to talk to this person, this person is the real deal, then reach out. Let us know, we wanna to talk to them. As always, you can catch us on Twitter and Instagram at the underscore PTA underscore tapes. And what's coming next? Tape eight. So what's happening on tape eight? Well, we sat down with two very special guests, awesome people, awesome student pts yes student pts and i'm not going to drop names but it was such a great conversation you're not going to want to miss it so show up next week tape 8 is coming soon yeah that's all we got hope you enjoyed